So this summer we're spending the rest of um, uh, the, the time, which is ticking down pretty quick. I guess it depends on what you consider summer. The next, I don't know, five, six weeks, looking at the law, considering uh, from other places uh, in the scriptures, considering some things about God's law. This morning, uh, if you would open your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 31. A text that maybe you're familiar with, uh, but it's got some, uh, it's quite instructive and looms large in the Old Testament. Jeremiah 31, beginning in verse 31 down through verse 34. The grass withers. The flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke. Though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this, your word. It is light and life. Lord, to dark hearts and places that so need light and life and truth, would you now speak by your spirit? Would you be our teacher, our guide? Lord, shape us as a congregation, as those who would know and understand and comprehend the beauty of this new covenant. Lord, may we see Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So the text comes to us today from the weeping prophet I always thought that was sad when I heard that as a kid. The weeping prophet. The guy whose prophecy is known as Lamentations. This guy's known for lament, crying out with tears. Comes at a time when Judah, who had been spared, they, they didn't get all the results of what Israel had gotten, the Assyrian captivity. Now it's their turn. Babylon looms large. Jeremiah's ministry is being deployed during that. We actually heard some about that during Sunday school. So thinking about 
this text, we have to remember the, the setting a, a little bit of God's relationship with people. How does God deal with us? He always does so by way of covenants. Covenants. Okay, so aside from Stranger Things, how many of you guys uh, remember New Coke? No, you don't. You're way, you're way too young. Yeah, Stranger Things, sure. But aside from that, do you, do you guys, I, I remember New Coke. You remember that? It's like these marketers got this genius idea to change a recipe that they had had for 90 some odd years. And it seemed to work pretty well. And in the 80s, they're like, ah, we need to do something new here. Did that go over well? No. Maybe on Stranger Things, they, they like it. But no, it was not good. It was, it was new. But not really new. New a little bit new. T- today, we come across this text where God is saying, hey, I've been dealing with you by covenants, but there's a problem. But I'm going to accomplish the same ends by this new way. Okay, so we're going the same place. So this isn't like, let me just change up the formula a little bit. It's, there was a failure. This, this other thing didn't go the way it was going to go if things had been held up. But, but they weren't. And so God is going to do something new to accomplish His same ends. He's going to get it done. So in Jeremiah chapter 3, we get a glimpse into Judah's life and Israel's life. And they're being held up against that thing that we've been talking about for weeks and weeks and weeks. The moral law of God. Okay, the the Ten Commandments, right? They loom large in Scripture. Week in and week out, I, I tried going through that to say, how are we doing with this? No other gods. How, how are we doing with that? Right? Because all these commandments of God are expansive. And the moral law defines the, the rest of the Scriptures. In fact, we read in other places that the moral law was already in place before Moses. It's who God is. It's the way that He, he, he has made us. So this moral law looms large. Well, how how did Israel do? Jeremiah 3. Here are some of the charges. The Lord said to me in the days of King Josiah, Have you seen what she did? The faithless one, Israel, how she went up on every high hill and under every green tree and there played the whore? And I thought, after she has done all this, she will return to me. But she did not return. And her treacherous sister Judah saw it. And she saw that for all the adulteries of the faithless one Israel, I had sent her away with a decree of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear, but she too went and played the whore. Because she took her whoredom lightly. She polluted the land, committing adultery with stone and tree. Yet for all this, her treacherous All this, her treacherous sister Judah did not return to me with her whole heart, but in pretense, declares the Lord. That's the charge. 
This is a lawsuit. They're being charged with idolatry. They're being charged with the breaking of the first commandment. And as we said in the presentation of the law, when, when you topple that domino, they all fall. Right? You can't just say, well, I'm a little bit guilty of the law. Yeah, I kind of messed that up just a little bit. No, that first one is toppled. They're, they're idolatrous. And so all of them fall. They're wiped out. That's the charge. So the context of this thing is, again, that God is relating to his people by way of covenant. In order to understand something of this charge in Jeremiah, you have to know something about covenants. The the children's catechism is really helpful here. Question 22, uh, what is a covenant? You guys can answer. I know y'all have been studying it. I can't hear that, but it's an agreement, an agreement between two or more persons. In its most basic sense, a covenant is just an arrangement, an agreement, a a formal uh, togethering, right? A binding together. What's important for our purposes is that God has always dealt with his people that way. We see this in the garden. God creates all things and then he enters in a relationship with them by telling his people, here's who you are. He's made all of this. Here's who you are and here's your obligation. Eat of all this stuff. It's all for you. He gives them mandates, right? Go about these things and he gives them a prohibition. Don't eat this. It's a covenant. Okay, it's an agreement. And we know what happened. All mankind is plunged into sin and death because of failure in that covenant. That's not the last covenant we see. We rock along and we see a covenant with Noah. We rock along and see a covenant with Abraham. In that covenant with Abraham, God says, I'm going to do these things. Abraham, I'm going to... I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give it to you. It's going to be yours. And once you're in that land, you're going to dwell there securely forever. I'm going to give you a seed. You're going to have a kid. They were old and they had a hard time understanding this, but there would be something spectacular about this kid because this next part, through this family, through this line, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Then that covenant went down this way. God makes these promises. Then he puts Abraham to sleep. Right? Do you remember that? And God ratifies the covenant. He himself through a theophany, goes through the pieces saying, I will accomplish this covenant, me. I will do it. Abraham was taking a nap. God says, I'm going to do this thing. Then we come along to another covenant. God rescues his people, right? This takes us all the way up to where we are in our series in Exodus. God rescues his people out of bondage in Egypt, slaves, 
He, he takes them, he rescues them, and he brings them to Sinai. And at Sinai, he says, here's how you live. This is how you orient your life. He gives them the law. So just like I asked, how are we doing as we would go through that, I would say, how, how is Israel doing? Well, that text that I just read in Jeremiah 3 gives you some clue. If you hold them up as a nation against the law of God, are they doing good? Not so good. They fail. They break it at every turn. Condemned. So what are we going to do about that? We've broken the law of God. We've broken Sinai. We stand condemned. You read more of Jeremiah and this whole thing unfolds and it's, it's not pretty. And then we get to God's restoring grace. We get to a new covenant. How is this covenant new? How is this new covenant new? First, this covenant isn't breakable like Sinai. It's not breakable. Check it out. Verse 32. This is the new covenant. It's not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. It's not like that. Not like the covenant that I made at Sinai. Where God says, do this and remain and break this and get booted out of the land. I'm going to make a new covenant. And this new covenant is utterly unbreakable. It's unilateral. God himself will do it. Notice that God said that this is necessary, not because Sinai was broken or that it was bad. But the people broke their vows. The people couldn't uphold their end of the bargain. God has to do more, not because he messed up. That's on us. That's on Judah. They broke it. God didn't mess things up. Though I was their husband, God is saying that he's the bridegroom and his people are the bride. What makes sin so devastating? I think sometimes we think of our sin as bad because it produces bad things. Bad things happen if you tell lies, if you commit murder, if you steal from others. Bad things happen to you. Bad things happen to others. You know the devastation of sin in Scripture is first and foremost that it's a violation of the glory of God. God is our husband. Utter unfaithfulness to him. That's what makes it so devastating. Just another God. Just adding to the one true and living God. Just a, a way to worship that's pleasing to us rather than God. And you can go through all the Ten Commandments and tweak them just a little bit to, to suit you. And, and it's a violation of God's law. It's a, it's a breaking of faith with him. The problem isn't with God, it's, it's not with Sinai. The problem isn't with the Ten Commandments. 
They're good and right. The problem is with our ability to keep what God has given. Hebrews chapter 8 picks up on this. For if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need or occasion for the second. It wasn't faultless. But the fault is not with God, it's with us. It's our utter inability to keep it. The people of Israel are lawbreakers and so are we. Why do we have to be reminded of this? Because I think sometimes we think, man, I can just, I can accomplish this deal. I can do it. I can do enough to please God. I've got this. I'm good. If that's the way you hear the Ten Commandments, you weren't listening close enough. So we're buried under it. You can't do it. You can't accomplish it. Neither can I. So this new covenant is going to be utterly unbreakable. We need more information. We see that the people of the new covenant are a faithful people. Look at verse 33. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. We have this new covenant, so the the law is nowhere in view, right? No, the new covenant, the law is here. Only it goes from being this outward thing over here that just exists on our wall to in here, a desire of our heart. God wrote the law with his hand on stone at Sinai. And here in the new covenant, he says, I'm going to write it on your heart. Last week, Howard gave a great illustration of of a transition that went on in his mind and and heart concerning cutting grass. Do you remember that? He's a kid at home and, and, you know, dad says, hey, go cut the grass. I I don't really want to. Do you know how hot it is outside? Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a chore. I don't want to do it. If that's the standard, I've got to cut the grass. Okay, with a grumbling, whatever, I'll just go cut the grass. But then there's a transition that happened. He talks about this. Father's getting a little bit, a little bit older. A deepening of love and affection and relationship is occurring. Suddenly Howard's at home. He's like, you know what? I want to serve my dad. It's real hot outside, and I want to cut the grass. Do you know what happened there? Cut the grass went from being something on the wall over here that exists in stone, a tablet of stone, to being written on his heart. Do you see that? That's what goes on with us in the new covenant. It's not like the law is no longer in view. Hey, we have a new covenant. Don't worry about it. Do whatever. No, God says, I'm changing your desires. I'm changing your heart. I'm changing you. I am making you new. I am giving you new desires. The law is still in view. It's just in the heart. What does it mean that God will write his law on our hearts? 
what, is, what exactly does that mean? It means that our desires will come from His desires. The things that we like and cherish and love and long for, our hearts will be after His heart. God is fierce for justice. He's fierce for it. Does your heart beat for justice? God is a great God of mercy and grace. What about your heart? What about my heart? God longs for us to live lives that are pleasing. And we we had a menu of several ways that this could look this morning in Sunday school. And all those things flow from God's heart. We long for the same things that God longs for. This is the power of the Spirit at work transforming us. Under the old covenant, the law could simply tell us you're guilty. It acts as a a line, and when we transgress it, okay, so you take a kid to an art museum. Uh, This is just an illustration. I'm not speaking from experience. You take kids to an art museum. There you are, you're, you're checking out the art, and the kids are running around a little bit, but everybody's kind of, you know, reined in, everything's kind of in check, and then suddenly, mom and dad look down and see, oh, there's a line right there that you're not supposed to cross. Then you gather the little guys together, and you're like, hey, you see the line? You can't get any closer to the art than that line. What have we just done? My word, you've just shown them You've just shown them the line. Then is the focus this this beautiful art anymore? What is it for the kids? Just the line, right? Then, just in case you're wondering how this illustration ends, this fictitious illustration, it ends with kids crossing the line, the alarms ringing, and the, the, the next thing you know, you're having a conversation with the security guard about why the alarms are going off. Right? That's the way the old covenant works. It's the line in the sand. Do not cross. And what do we do? We cross it. We cross it. To our own detriment, to our own death. That could never save That old law could never save. However, when God writes His law on our hearts, we desire to please Him because we've been transformed. What the law could not do because of the weakness of the flesh, the gospel has done through the Son of God. The law is held in honor among believers. Though we're not under it as a covenant of works, we're being conformed to it as we see it in the life of Christ and we're becoming Christ-like ourselves. The law of God is written on our hearts. So what transforms us from 
seeing the law as simply a line in the sand to something that we would offer to the Lord as pleasing to Him. Hey, I want to I live my life for the Lord. What does that transformation? Let me tell you something. I can't do that in you. I think of this church as a, as a great place to foster uh, this good news in our hearts. But this church cannot transform you like that. It can't do it. There are great men and women in this church who will invest in you and love you and you will be loved by many in this place. But those people can't do this kind of transformation. Where does it come from? We see this unfold across the pages of Scripture in the power of the Holy Spirit. The new birth in the Holy Spirit, John 3, 3 through 8, that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. We need a new birth. This new covenant requires a new birth in the Spirit of God. Profession of Jesus Christ as Lord only happens in the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 3, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Sanctification is brought about by the Spirit. Romans 8.13 For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Holiness in life comes by the work of the Holy Spirit. 2 Thessalonians 2 But we ought to always give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Christ indwells his people by the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his, though his Spirit dwells in you. Listen, the kind of transformation that we need, old covenant to new, is a new heart. New desires. And the beauty and the hard thing about the gospel is this, we can't do it. It has to be done for us. The invitation to come is to come and believe. Come in faith to Christ. Have this work done on you. So this people, this covenant will be an unbreakable covenant. This covenant will create a faithful people who have the law of God and His desires written on their hearts. This covenant people will know the Lord from the greatest to the least. There is in view here a time where there is no one outside. All people from the greatest to the least know this God. They're dwelling with Him. This is God's promise. God says, I will be your God and you will be my people and we will dwell together for eternity. That's what we're created for. Living with God and under Him in His way forever. That promise is in view in the new covenant. And last, but certainly not least, the new covenant people are forgiven and their sin is remembered no more. Listen, under Sinai, the only thing that matters is your sin. That's it. 
Have you kept the law? Are you perfect? If if you've broken the law, even in one point, you're guilty of all because they topple like dominoes. In the new covenant, sin will be remembered no more. This is an astounding reality of good news. This is gospel. The gospel in the Old Testament. Imagine that. A holy God who cannot tolerate sin saying, I will remember your sin no more. This is a forever promise. It has no end, no expiration date. This prophecy again looms large in Israel. Where is this whole thing taking us? The new covenant is taking us to a person. To a person. It's taking us first to the inauguration of this powerful and astounding new covenant full of grace. It takes us to a baby being born. Galatians, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law. The inauguration of the covenant comes with the birth of Christ and his first coming. He began the fulfillment of the new covenant in his birth and sacrificial death and resurrection. Christ In Christ, we find the, the new covenant embodied. We see this most clearly when Jesus offered the supper to his disciples, right? What does he say? This cup is what? It's the new covenant. Is it in the blood of bulls and goats? When Israel failed, when Judah failed, they, they always had the sacrificial system. Is this going to be like all the, that other bloodshed? No, he says, here, this new covenant, it's me. You need my bloodshed. You need to eat and drink of me. Jesus, the embodiment of the new covenant. Then you have the second stage. The blessings of the new covenant are now mediated by Christ. Hebrews 9, therefore he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from transgressions committed under the first covenant. That's us. We live in an era mediated by Christ of blessings. We live in light of the new covenant. In stage three, the consummation of the covenant. Read the answer key. Revelation. We have all the problems flipped to the back of the book and see where this is going. It's going to a new heavens and a new earth. It's going to all this being consummated and brought together. Right now we live in this tension of, man, I, I desire to do good, but I'm still failing. I'm still wrestling with the law. I want to please my heavenly Father, but I'm still breaking the law. Listen, one day we will be transformed. And our lives, our desires perfectly aligned with Christ's forever. No more tears. Full restoration. That's where the new covenant is taking us. 
And it's also fulfilling this old, old part of Genesis, this old covenant where God made us for his own glory. And here we are dwelling secure. So that's how it unfolds. It unfolds through a person. All that happens through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Who in every way that we failed, he completed and fulfilled the Mosaic law and offers us forgiveness of sins. I will remember your sin no more. Hear the good news. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this, your word. Would you shape our view of the law? Lord, through the new covenant. Shape our view of you and the world around us. Transform us by your gospel. Lord, we thank you for Christ who offered the new covenant in his shed blood and broken body for us, the thing that we deserve laid on our Savior. Lord, even as we would eat and drink of the supper, would you remind us of the profound reality of a new covenant? Lord, continue to write your law upon our hearts. Remind us that we are in a forever covenant with you, one that will never go away. Remind us that the blessings that we receive are given freely and our sin is remembered no more. Do these things for your glory, for our good, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.